Hi, I'm Coach B. Moore. Welcome to Coach B. Daily. Today you're going to hear about a young lady doing incredible work to bring healthy, organic produce to a food desert in the Crenshaw neighborhood of Los Angeles. Olympia Osset, the founder of Supermarket LA, has been doing incredible work for the past two years, selling over 25,000 pounds of fresh produce in that neighborhood. I want you to hear what she's doing, how she got where she is, and what she's doing next. My hope is that you'll be inspired to do something incredible yourself. Take a listen. We met probably two or three years ago Mm -hmm. in L.A., and at the time we met, I told you that I was really impressed with what you were doing and the mission of it and and that I would find a way to help out. So I'm hoping that um, this will do just that. I'm hoping that we can help bring some attention to the wonderful work you're doing, not just in this one project, but I mean, overall, you've been doing great work. And uh, I just want to make sure we kind of share what you've been doing and why you've been doing it. So thanks so much for, you know, giving me the time. I think it's fantastic what you're doing. And I'm happy that uh, we found an opportunity to get together. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm glad we um, are finally making a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to start from the beginning and tell me about uh, where you grew up. Where are you from? I'm from South Central. Um, So I have lived in areas across Los Angeles, but the first house that I lived in, and the first elementary school that I went to um, were in the western area. So um, for people who are from L.A., I went to Bright Elementary, which is near Fauche Middle School, which is near the Western Expo Station. And um, most of the early years of my life were spent um, in that area. In middle school, I moved to a place called the Jungles. Um, so that's a different part of South South Central. Mm-hmm. And um then I went to high school on the west side at Hamilton High School. What was home life like for you? Do you have siblings? Were, were your parents in the home? Were your grandparents in the home? What, what was home life? Um, I grew up mostly as an only child, and I met some of my siblings later. A lot of my early experiences had to do with just me being really curious and really smart from the beginning and not being willing to just do what people told me to do if I didn't understand why they were asking me to do it. So like definitely in school, I had a lot of like friction in school, even though I, you know, was a smart kid and did pretty well in school. I just didn't understand a lot of the rules. And that kind of translated to later in my life, um, you know, as an adult, understanding how society works and feeling like that's not the way that things should be and that it doesn't make sense. Did you travel at all when you were a kid? Um, no, not really. Um, I mostly just grew up in and around Los Angeles. Okay. So eventually you went to middle school, you went to high school and I know mm-hmm. you ended up going to my alma mater, which I'm so excited about. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> what was that? Tell me about the decision. You're, you're in high school and you're looking at, I can go anywhere uh, because I'm a smart kid and I'm doing what I need to do. What was your college decision making like? What were the important was- things? It was actually an accident. It sort of happened by chance. So I applied to two schools early action. One of them was Howard University. The other one was Missouri at Columbia. And um, I applied to Howard University only because a friend of mine at the time, mine at the time was applying there early action. And he had a sister who was there. 
Mm-hmm. Like I literally had heard very little about Howard being from Los Angeles. We don't really know very much about a lot of the HBCUs unless we have family members that attended. Um, so it was totally like, oh, I guess I'll do this. And it was something that I did. Um, so I applied their early action and the other schools that I applied to, I created, I didn't apply early action and I created my own application because I didn't want to use the common application. Mm-hmm. So I actually didn't get into any of the other schools that I applied to, um, except for Missouri at Columbia and Howard university. So that's what, um, I ended up choosing between, And I have full scholarships to both. Um, And as far as the decision making process, it wasn't it wasn't much of a decision making process. I kind of just weighed the pros and cons at the time. I was really interested in getting involved in journalism. Um, And Mizu was known for having a strong journalism program. Um, And maybe, you know, through sort of like testimonials of like my cousin who was from Detroit and um, was telling me things about Howard and just like hearing certain things. I said, okay, I guess I'll go to Howard. And um, that's how I ended up at Howard. I need to back you up for a second because you you skimmed right past the idea that though you admit that you are a person who didn't understand the rules and was curious, you're also now have taken that to the next level and said, yeah, I know I'm applying to college, but I don't want to use that application. I'm (laughs) going to create my own application and you're going to take it. (laughs) Yeah. It was boring. Like, I don't know, like what applications were like, um, when you were applying, but around the time that I applied, they wanted everybody to do this common application thing and submit the same application for all the schools. And I just felt that I wanted to show more of my personality. So I I included all the information that was in the common application, but I just like did like a custom, like kind of like designed it and like used my own colors and fonts. And I had different colors printed out for each school that I applied to, like based on what the school colors were. And I even had a lady from... Um, and what, what school was that? It was a school in Minnesota, McAllister. So I had a, a woman call and she said, oh, I think that um, you, you were missing some things in your application. And I'll go, no, like it's all there. And she checks it and she's like, well, I guess it is all here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, definitely the type of person I've been from the start. That's fantastic. I love the fact that you did, did that. And it's very telling <laughs> about who you are. So now you're across the country. Mm-hmm. You're out of uh, your home environment and it sounds like you didn't, you know, you hadn't been that many places before that. How did being that far from home impact you and how did it change you? So um, to sort of shed light on what my growth process was when I was at Howard, uh, my first year, I actually wanted to transfer And so I felt like I wasn't learning a lot. I had some really phenomenal teachers. Um, in high school that really opened my eyes to just like how the country worked and made me really want to dig deep into liberal arts and things like that. And I was studying sociology. Things might've been different if I picked a different major. You Um, weren't, you weren't a journalism major. No, I came in as a sociology major and I was a sociology, um, anthropology major. And then I think my second year, um, I went into Annenberg program and switched to journalism. Um, and so yeah, I, I was just sort of like, this is this is OK. Like, I want to be learning more. I want to be applying myself more. And the thing that actually kept me at Howard was something called Power Study Group. And those were these I don't know if they had them when you were there. Um, 
but they were these um, deliberative dialogue sessions where there was a question of the night picked by the students. And instead of it being a lecture where some smart person comes and they say like, hey, this is how this is, and you listen to them, mm-hmm. everyone in the room was like challenged. Everyone in the room had to put their minds together to figure out the answer to the question that was asked. And that was led by Dr. Ali Muhammad, um, who was prominent in the Nation of Islam. So I started going to those um, in my second semester during school, and they completely changed my life. Every Thursday that I would be there, my mind would be blown by the time I left. Hmm. The the subjects that came up, you know, I, I started learning about where money comes from and how money's made, the pharmaceutical industry, where wars come from. And there, there were just these really deep conversations, like filled with facts. And it was such a learning experience that it definitely made me want to stay. And it sort of took me to the next level of understanding about who I am and what I, who, what the world is like and what I want to do with my life. So I went vegan my freshman year um, in college, that second semester actually went vegan. So I've been vegan like 10 years now. And um, that was a really pivotal turning point because by going to those sessions, I discovered the work of Will Allen, um, who grows, um, who founded Growing Power and Growing Power grows, I think, three million pounds of food a year, like year round on like three acres of land in Milwaukee. So okay. at that point, I knew that no one had to be hungry. And what's more, um, through these deliberative dialogue sessions, I started to understand the importance of food and the impact that it has on our communities. And that's where I learned about what food deserts are. And it just became clear to me that if I care about my people in the way that I do care about my people, that food is a big part of that. And, you know, sort of in order to save us, like a lot I had to do something like related to food. So I started working at Common Good City Farm, mm-hmm. which was sort of near um, Slow Hall. Um, and I just got involved in like urban agriculture and I started to care about all those sorts of things. What was it like culturally coming back home that first break after you became a vegan? How was it at home? Oh. How was it received? Mm-hmm. But how was it at home first coming back and saying, hey, mom, I'm a vegan? Yeah. So when I was in high school, I wasn't living in a food desert. I was living in a place that has like a lot of access to a lot of vegan establishments and everything L.A. is kind of stereotypically known for. So I'm a little bit grateful for that because I never had the feeling that it was challenging for me to do what I was doing with my diet. But just on the family level, it was definitely challenging. And I tell people all the time that when you're making, you know, switches in your lifestyle and your health, the biggest um, challenge that you're going to have most of the time is your friends and your family because they most likely will look at you like you're crazy. And especially at that time, it wasn't as popular and like well known as it is right now. Um, and so it was hard at the beginning. Um, you know, like there's the there's the issue of like first people think it's just like a fad, like, Oh, you're just going to do this. And then you're not going to be doing this anymore. So they don't take it seriously. There's sometimes a fence, you know, like food is a really big part of culture and family tradition. So if we're all at the table and you're not eating, it's like, okay, are you too good to eat this food? Or, you know, there's all of those sort of like emotional things that get tied up. 
And then if people don't know or understand why you're doing what you're doing, you know, there's like a lot of flack that you get. But I also always tell people that it always pays off. Like that's going to be the scariest thing you go through is being ostracized potentially by your friends and your family. But once you get past that barrier and sort of like get to the other side, once you've been doing it for a year or two years and you start to see the results, the tables will turn and and people will start to ask you like family members who you thought would never be open to what you're doing. Like they're going to start asking you for like recipes and they start to see how good you feel and that you're sticking to it. And then it's working for you and that you didn't die because you hadn't eaten meat in the past year or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, like things get better and then you'll be in the position to help them out. Um, but that's how it is with a lot of things. Like when you're sort of an early adapter, when you're the first person to sort of do something, you're going to have to get past that first barrier of like being able to hold up and like stand up to your friends and your family and things like that. And then, you know, it pays off later. Yeah. Change is hard. And it's not only hard for the person changing, but it's also hard for the people who are close to the person changing because mm-hmm. there's an unspoken, there's an unspoken voice in that equation, meaning you're doing something to improve your life. Yeah. And it's different from what you were doing before. And maybe you guys were doing that together before. So now mm-hmm. you're doing things yeah. completely different and you're, you're saying that's an improvement, which means that there's maybe something wrong with what I was doing before. And that other person might not be ready to admit that there's something wrong with the way they're doing it now. So I agree wholeheartedly with the resistance that you felt. It was definitely going to happen. And I also agree with your approach uh, that if you take care of business yourself uh, and you really make the improvement and you're, you kind of, you know, focus on, doing better yourself, that eventually those people will come around. I, I really applaud you for your effort. And I think that you've got the, the right message for sure. Yeah. And that's a good point that you made about doing something together, because it's also implied that like, are we broken apart now or are we separated because we're not doing these things together anymore? So there's that like distance thing that people feel as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. And it's common. And I think that's important just to to, to touch on for everyone listening, just to say, it's going to happen no matter what you're trying to do. If it's you're improving yourself, you're going to do things differently and there's going to be resistance. You got to expect it. And those people can still love you even though they've, they're the face of the resistance. Mm-hmm. So big deal. Um, so you're back home. You're thinking differently. You've traveled, you've met people from around the world. You're doing things differently and you know, you want to have an impact, a very positive impact on the world, it sounds like starting with your neighborhood. So how do we get to supermarket? So supermarket happened around 2016. Um, Like I mentioned, I sort of had that just sort of this like two or three year period of like, you know, just really hard times because like not working or not working like official jobs and things like that just like having a period of discovery and like figuring things out. And during that time, um, I ended up going to Burning Man. I ended up going to, um, Vipassana, which is like a 10 day meditation retreat. So still continuing my growth process and just going through a lot of things and still meeting a lot of people, having a lot of experiences. And, um, before supermarket happened, I met light Watkins, who's the founder of the shine, which is um, how we met. 
which is how we met at Mm -hmm. a shine event. And the shine is an inspirational event that includes meditation and like uplifting speakers. It's kind of like a good time for people who are conscious or like, if you don't want to have to drink to be social, it's, it's like an experience that will leave you inspired after. So I met light because he put an ad out on Craigslist that he needed someone to come, um, help him plant, like put plants on his patio. Oh yeah. And and when I caught him, I ended up finding out that he went to Howard too. And I was like, Oh, I'll come do that for free. And so we ended up planting, um, food instead of him just doing decorative plants and I still have this old video of like when one of the tomatoes came off of the tomato plant we planted and I was like his first time eating something he grew. And um, so that that's how I met Light. But when I met Light, he invited me to the shine in its early, early stages when it was still in someone's like front living room. And so I started going to them. I really liked them a lot. They were definitely aligned with like what I have been wanting to create or experience. And I started volunteering um, for those of you who don't know, the shine, one of the elements of the shine is that you go to this event and the money that has been collected is given to someone in the audience. The, the shine um, on challenge. The shine on challenge. And then whoever is picked has to go do something positive with it for other people and then come back and show or tell their story. And so like a few months down the line into me volunteering at the shine, um, I'm watching a video that someone made um, about what they did with the $400. And I'm literally sitting in the audience and I'm like, they don't know what to do with that money. If I had that money, I would do this, 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 and this. And then my name gets pulled. And then it's just like, oh, snap. Now like, you got you to gotta live it. You, you talk right? today, you got to live it. Exactly. So there was like all these ideas that I had, um, you know, for just like, suffering that people go through on a daily basis that I feel that they shouldn't have to go through and ideas that I have for what would be nice to, you know, for people to do for each other, to help each other. And it went from me thinking about it to actually having to do it. And so that was a really pivotal transformational process, um, or sort of like moment in my life. Um, we made a video. Some of the things we did were load up trips on tap cards and give them to people, um, on like buses, especially, um, if they didn't, weren't able to pay, like if we saw them not paying and stuff, because there had been so many times that I had had to ask a bus driver for a ride or been hassled by the police for not having money for the bus and things like that. Um, we started a mural that, um, was on, ended up on 54th and Crenshaw. So we put like some of the money towards starting a mural that went up and we also like bought gift cards um, to like Trader Joe's and Whole Foods to give out to people because I know what it's like to be in line and like be short on money, you know, especially at the end of the month. And just like, man, I wish I had a couple of bucks to hold me over to get what I need to be able to eat. Mm. Um, so that video did really well. It got like a standing ovation when we showed it, it got published in the Huffington Post. And that was sort of like a pivotal moment of me having experience with having an idea and then like acting on it and not just thinking about it. And I think that that's an experience that everybody should have because people having those kinds of experiences is what will empower people to actually create the world that we want to live in. So that was a really big deal. And then not long after that, um, I started living um, back more and more towards some of the areas that I grew up in. So I was living on 79th and 3rd which is on the border between Inglewood and um, 
LA. Mm-hmm. And I was also transitioning to raw vegan at the time, which means you mostly eat fresh fruits and vegetables. And I was having such a tough time because once you decide you're going to eat fresh food, it becomes really clear when it's not around. Because even if you're a vegan, you might be like, man, this sucks over here. But okay, I can go get some fries from rallies or I can go to 7-Eleven and get this. You know, like there's ways you can sort of work around it or you can make one big trip to Trader Joe's and stock up on snacks or just like dry goods. But when it's like I definitely need fresh lettuce, tomatoes, apples, like this is mostly what I'm eating. It became it just became really clear to me that there wasn't enough food around here. And it, it was another sort of um, touch point experience because I definitely mentally knew what a food desert was. And I had grown up in food deserts as a child. But as a child, all you want to do is eat pizza and burgers and chips and right. things like that. So being coming back and being an adult and like having this newfound understanding of the systemic issues related to food and then experiencing them um, was definitely a catalyst. So I would be on the bus like two hours every time I need to go get groceries. Um, simultaneously, I was um, working with my friends to help them eat better. Like we were meeting once a week to just talk about how we can fix the world and have an organic vegan meal. And I'm trying to help them out with their diet. But the thing that keeps coming up is like, oh, it's too expensive. Um, and I, you know, like once you get to the store, that you had to travel to, it's like so pricey. If you want to get a pound of almonds, they're going to charge you like 16 bucks for the pound of almonds. And so that was really frustrating for me. Um, I started working with a raw food manufacturer and I would see, start to see some of the wholesale prices on fruits, vegetables and nuts and things like that. And just, I just felt in my heart that if someone were willing to offer this at closer prices to the wholesale price, then more people could have access to this food. Um, and so supermarket, you know, and additionally, people that were family friends were starting to pass away. Um, at that time I had, I hadn't really experienced a lot of death in my life up until that point. I think I was like 24 or something like that. And fortunately nobody sort of close to me has, had passed away, but like two or three people passed away around that time that year. That was um, in 2015, 2016. And it was really difficult for me. Um, And it was, you know, like preventable diseases. And it was people passing away when they shouldn't be passing away, either 60 years old or 50 years old. And so at that moment, those statistics about African-Americans being more prone to certain diseases and having lower life expectancies, it went from being just like, Oh, it went from just being an idea to something that I had to do something about because people that I cared about were passing away. It's the, oh, this is real moment. Exactly. It was like, it it was like, this is going to apply. This is going to continue to happen if I don't do something about it. And furthermore, if I don't sow sow the seeds now, then I'm going to be going to funerals of my friends when we're 50 years old. And so just sort of all these things coming together made supermarket happen. We say what supermarket is. Oh, yeah. Okay. so supermarket is a low cost organic grocery service that makes it affordable to eat well in food deserts. And um, it's a pop up um, grocery like experience where you can come and get food and pay for your groceries with EBT. And it's also a subscription service. So we deliver across L.A., 
inside food deserts, outside food deserts. Uh, We deliver organic produce and we just make it affordable to get the basics that you need for a healthy lifestyle. Are um, you getting, I'm sorry. Are you getting, where are you, where, where, how are you funding delivery? So the deliveries, people just pay for the deliveries. Okay. Um, um, it is partially subsidized. We do have a 501c3 called Supersede. So let's say somebody pays for six bucks for their delivery because delivery, depending on where you live, it'll be like 25 bucks a month. Um, so to be able to pay the drivers more, um, like the person might pay six bucks and then Supersede might cover four bucks of the delivery. Okay. Um. So the way that supermarket happened was myself and friends were meeting once a week, working on projects, and we wanted to expand that to include more of our friends. So we went to someone's mom that we knew and we said, hey, can we have this dinner here at your house? And um, she said yes. And she gave us 300 bucks to put the dinner on. A hundred of those dollars went to creating the first supermarket like inside the house at that dinner. So that was the first supermarket. We started with $100. The next month, we um, sort of recycled some of the money that we got from the little bits of fruits and vegetables that our friends were able to buy. And we went to Lamert Park, which is um, a culturally relevant landmark that's been there for decades. Um, But it's like a marketplace, an African marketplace that happens in L.A. Mm -hmm. um, on Sundays. So we went out to Lamert Park and we literally didn't have anything like we had these like. (laughs) very questionable like some of the fruit was just like there's old pictures on our instagram that you can look through to see what i mean but we didn't even have a table like we had to borrow tables like a broken down lopsided table somebody let us use and for months one of my friends from middle school would like bring us her table (laughs) her folding table um until we were able to buy a table for like 40 bucks off craigslist so supermarket really just started as number one just wanting to have sovereignty over what me and my friends ate. Like if we come together and all of us put three bucks on, you know, this case of tomatoes, then at least we can have these tomatoes and not have to worry about paying a dollar per tomato type where, thing. So, where were you sourcing food? Were you getting a wholesale rate somewhere or were you like literally you know, buying food from a supermarket and bringing it over? No, we were getting we were getting it wholesale from the same place that like your the grocery stores and the restaurants were getting it because I had worked with the raw food manufacturer. Okay, right. I knew where to get the food, um, and so um, it really just was just us going out there and wanting to provide something, and we didn't have like a bunch of things planned or like a lot of direction or anything like that when we started. It was just being, it was just grit, honestly, to yep. start. And just being willing to be out there every Sunday and provide something that people cared out, cared about, and it grew from there. And that went on for two years. And I think the stat I saw was you sold twenty five thousand pounds of produce in that time. Yeah, we've been around for about two and a half years, and we've provided well over twenty five thousand pounds of organic produce since we started. Um, so that's pretty humbling to know. Um, that we've been able to do that with the resources that we've had because we still don't have a vehicle. Like, I don't drive. It's all volunteer support. Um, You know, like, we've really been able to make a lot happen with a little. And um, that's pretty much what we've been doing for the past two and a half years. So now 
there's the there's a bigger vision that I've I'm sure it's been in it's been in your head for a long time, but that just hit my awareness is that there was a a building that you're interested in buying to create your first brick and mortar organic food store in and I, I'm thinking is that Crenshaw? Yeah. So for a while we've known that we wanted people ask you know because we started getting press. Um, so our first big break was Afropunk. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people were writing us from all over the country. Can you bring this here? And, you know, people, you know, a couple of people tried to order, like, pay for groceries on our website that were, like, in Alabama or in <laughs> New Jersey yeah. and, like, wanted us to mail them the groceries or whatever. So it was a really profound moment for us to know that, like, this is this is really reaffirming that people want to eat healthy. You know, like there's these stereotypes that the reason our neighborhoods are like this is because, Oh, they just want to eat junk food all day. They don't want anything healthy, but it definitely flew in the face of that. And so when that was happening and we kind of were on the chitless circuit of Instagram, like all the sort of like, (laughs) I don't know what to call them, but like certain like Instagram accounts, like we were all over Instagram and people were like, where are you located? Where are you located? So we knew that like, and that was like a couple of years ago. So we knew that we wanted to have a physical location for some time. And it was always something that was sort of um, sitting on my mind and that I've been taking some steps towards um, this year. But really sort of the thing that catalyzed the place where we're at right now is that on May 31st of this year, um, you know, when Nipsey was murdered, we were out in Lamert Park um, at the time of everything happening and it's just, there's so many things that are crazy about the situation, but we were, you know, that I've walked from Lamert to Crenshaw and Slauson before, and that entire situation definitely hit my spirit like a bomb. It was like somebody exploded a bomb. It was like, this what this is not supposed to be happening. Like, it, it affected myself and our team and just a lot of people, you know, especially people who are from L.A. very deeply. And there was a sense of needing to step up and do something Um, And not wait to do it and do it maybe one day, but to do something now. And so in the midst of all that sort of energetic upheaval, I found out that Mr. Wisdoms, um, which is just a block away from Marathon, had closed and that it had been sold in January. So Mr. Wisdoms was one of the only places in the community where you could go get a wheatgrass shot or you could go get a veggie burger. It was run by an older man. Um, and he had been there for decades and he had just been holding it down. He would do free vegetarian feasts, um, like Hare Krishna feasts on Sundays. And it was just one of the only places where you could sort of have like a vegan restaurant experience in the neighborhood, um, you know, from people, you know, in, in your community. And to find out that it, it closed, it just... I've definitely felt like I had to step up and like do something about it. And I was really sad because I didn't even know that he was having trouble or anything that had been going on because he, you know, he didn't come tell everybody. Right. So um, immediately I looked up who purchased the property. I went to the address on file for the person. I talked to the person's wife. I let him know what we were wanting to do. Um, and I just immediately action took action to figure out, you know, what would be needed for us to keep that place as one of the few or not one of the few. I don't want it to be one of the few, but to keep that as a landmark 
um, uh, representing health in the community and not let that just pass on into, you know, not not let it be something that no one ever knows existed yeah. um, later down the line. So we launched the Keep Sauce and Fresh campaign, which is a campaign to raise the funds needed to buy that place back and turn it into um, a health oasis. It'll be our first brick and mortar location. So people will be able to get fresh fruits and vegetables there, but they'll also be able to get like delicious prepared meals um, and also just daily essentials that you need for your house, like sustainable soap and, and um, detergent and, you know, just, you know, toilet paper, different things that we've become way too accustomed to having to leave our neighborhoods to go get. And every time we leave our neighborhood to go to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods and go buy the things we need, we're divesting money from our area. You know what I mean? Like we're, yep. we're taking money out of the place where we live that can be helping the place where we live be a better place. And we're putting it somewhere else where they have more than what they need. Um, and so that's what Keeps Lost and Fresh is. And, and you have a website. That's the actual website, right? KeepsLostAndFresh.net. Yeah, you can find um, the campaign video that we did and find out how you can um, donate. We have some really awesome perks. We have even more merch coming out really soon. Um, so you can visit net to learn more about what we're doing and get shareable materials for you to share it on your socials. And to, you can, you, the Indiegogo link is there for people to be able to donate. Fantastic. Fantastic. And you're totally committed to doing this. It's going to yeah. happen regardless. It's just, yeah. yeah. I, put it, I put that on everything. 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 Olympia Austin, thanks so much. Thank you.